Well, tonight I want to reflect with you for a few moments on the significance of the cross from Hebrews chapter 10. And as I come to a Good Friday service, I I always want to try to help you meditate on the goodness and the glory of the cross, Christ on the cross, his cross work. Tonight I want to read, I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 10 verses 1 through 18 and it's another lengthy section, significant section, but I trust that tonight you'll be blessed by what we meditate on together. Here the author of Hebrews, we don't know who the human author is, but ultimately the Holy Spirit, is reflecting on the uniqueness of Christ's sacrifice as our God-appointed high priest. Hebrews chapter 10.1 reads, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, speaking of the old covenant sacrifices, There is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come In the scroll of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law, then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, that is Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind, I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Amen. Would you pray with me? Oh God, I have just read 
an awesome portion of your word, reflecting on the comparison between the old covenant and the new covenant. It is not my intent, you know, tonight to to go over each line, but we pray together that that your word would lead us tonight to meditate on the glory of your Son and in turn the glory, Father, of who you are, one with the Son and the Spirit. We ask this now in our Savior's name. Amen. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, death on a cross is the heart and center of our faith. It's not for any accident that as we thought about a logo for our church that we have on that logo the cross. Sermons, songs, poems, books beyond numbering have been composed over the past 2,000 years reflecting on various aspects of Christ's cross work. Tonight, as we hold our first Good Friday worship service in this house of worship, in this new meeting space for Reformation Bible Church, I I want to reflect with you on a perspective or an aspect of the cross that perhaps you may not have considered before. We rightly and regularly reflect on the cross of Christ, the death of Jesus, God's Son incarnate on the cross. We regularly and rightly reflect on his death as a penal substitutionary atonement. He bore the penalty for us. He stood in our stead. He was our substitute. And he was making atonement for our sins, satisfying the wrath of God. And that is the biblical emphasis, and that is why we dwell upon it and why we will never move away from, by God's grace, from preaching penal substitutionary atonement. It's in our songs. It's in our prayers. There's not a Sunday morning or evening in which, in one way, shape, or form or another, we don't reference or allude to Jesus Christ and him crucified, specifically his substitutionary atonement. And there are many other glorious aspects that we could reflect on tonight. We could think about the cross as a demonstration of Christ's victory over his enemies. We could reflect on the Christ on the cross as a as a demonstration or a, a revelation of the character of God and of the mercy of God, the love of God in Christ. And it is all that. But tonight I wonder if we have ever considered or if you've ever considered Christ's sufferings and death on the cross as the ultimate worship service. The ultimate worship service. A service of worship by the Son of God in flesh, incarnate to God the Father. Did you notice, maybe as I read Hebrews chapter 10, a portion of it, the emphasis on worship? Now, now the main burden of that passage, that text, is to compare the 
incompleteness of the old sacrificial system appointed by God, but with built-in deficiencies because the blood of bulls and goats could never and were never intended to actually atone for sins. They always pointed forward. So the main design of the chapter is to, is to demonstrate that the new covenant that we are a part of as believers in Jesus Christ is superior, far surpassing the old covenant. But assumed in the chapter, and, and would just be normal in a sense to the Jewish audience who's receiving this letter the first time around, This is the context of worship. All of this is worship language. Multiple references to offering. What's an offering? We're not talking here about the passing of a plate. This is an offering of a sacrifice in the Old Testament, Old Covenant ceremonies in which a blood or of a bull or a goat, an animal was slain and offered before the Lord. There's references to offerings. There's references to worshipers. Worshipers are referenced several times. Sacrifice is mentioned. Ministering, serving. We often think of serving as a general term. You know, we, we serve one another. We serve dinner. We serve uh, all kinds. Of, we use serve as a very general word. But you need to understand and remember that in your New Testament, the word serve and service is a worship term, overwhelmingly. Of course, we serve one another. We don't worship one another. But overwhelmingly, the New Testament talks about service in terms of worship. And so those men, those women who are referenced in Matthew chapter 27 and the other gospel accounts, those men and women who were there that day when Jesus was crucified and hanging on the cross, those angels and demons who were witnessing the Son of God incarnate hanging on the cross were witnessing the greatest service of worship to God there has ever been or ever will be. In fact, think about it, all other worship services, services of worship, recorded in the scriptures, either point forward to or look back upon this ultimate worship service. Well, the scene that we read earlier in Matthew 27 is probably what, not what most people think of today when they think of a worship service. Today, Worship has to always be light and happy and cheery and not too serious and always with an eye to the comfort of the worshiper. It's not much of that at the cross of Christ. And even if we have a more biblical view of worship, it is striking. Maybe it's maybe tonight you're a little bit shocked that I'm referring to this bloody, gruesome scene as a worship service. It is a strange worship service if it is a worship service. So let me ask, what is biblical worship? What is biblical worship? Many definitions given, and if you if you gave me the time and the opportunity, I would I would love to give various nuances, but 
But let me offer this very concise definition of biblical worship. Worship is acknowledging the worth of God according to the will of God. That's what it is. Acknowledging the worth of God according to the will of God. Again, you can, you can nuance that, you can add to it, but if you really boil down what biblical worship is, it always entails, in one way or another, acknowledging the worth of God. And biblical worship is always acknowledging the worth of God in a way that God has willed. You don't make this up on your own. And of course, in the Bible and in Old Covenant and in New Testament Christian worship, there is, there is an emphasis on joyous worship. Absolutely. Psalm 98, verse 4, the call to worship there is, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. And rightfully, when we think of worship, we, we think of joy. Right, rightly, we think of when we come to worship that predominantly now that Christ is risen, it is, it is typically for us a time of joy. However, we do not worship yet God, we do not worship God yet in a world without sin. Ever since the entrance of sin, ever since Adam and Eve failed to acknowledge the worth of God according to the will of God, sin has been in the world. And by nature, as sinners by nature, we have been rendered unfit to worship God the very purpose for which we were created. If you think of sin, again, there's different ways you can define sin, but sin is essentially devaluing and disobeying God. Rather than acknowledging the worth of God, it devalues God, and rather than according to the will of God, it disobeys the will of God. In a way, if you think of it, sin is the exact opposite of worship. And so, if there is to be any worship offered up to God after sin has entered the world, if there is to be any worship acceptable to and offered up on behalf of sinners, there must be in that worship an acknowledgement of the devaluing of God and a vindication of the wrath of God against those who have dismissed and disobeyed his will. Ever since sin, you you could no longer have, by nature, as we were, simply a joyous worship service. Because if there was a service in which the sin sin was not acknowledged as, as what it is against God, then, in fact, the worth of God would not be acknowledged and it would not be according to the will of God. There must be an acknowledgement of the devaluing of God and the glory and a recognition of the glory of his justice for our disobedience. 
That's why in Romans chapter 3, verse 26, you don't need to turn there. It's interesting, as Paul talks about the cross, he highlights that the cross was a demonstration, a public display, like, like putting it up on a, a large sign on a very, very busy road. I'm going to use that sign tonight for all I can. Paul says that the cross was a placard, a poster board, a billboard announcing not only God's love for sinners, oh yes, it does announce that, but announcing also the righteousness of God and his justice. Paul says it was for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just. So having considered, made the maybe um, somewhat shocking claim that the cross was the ultimate worship service, having considered the nature of worship and the nature of sin, I want to come now for a few moments back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 and following. There, Old Testament scriptures are being prophecies of the of the work of Christ, of the will of Christ, are being announced that share that he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you've taken no pleasure. This is all worship context. This is all the setting of the Old Testament whether it be the annual day of atonement or the daily and weekly sacrifices. This is a reference to the old covenant worship. The Messiah, Jesus the Christ there then, he says, I have come to do your will, O God. And the will of God, notice, is not merely that there won't be any more sacrifices that There's no shedding of blood or God's just kind of moved on. No, the issue is those offerings, those sacrifices did not express the worth of God as they they inherently couldn't. And so God prepared a body for his son. Conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. And the incarnate, enfleshed Son of God with that body. Offered up that body and that blood instead of a bull or a goat. The incarnate Son with that body, here's the point. Worshipped God on the cross in a service of worship, acknowledging the worth of God in a way that has never and never will be replicated. There has never been any acknowledgement of the worth of God like the acknowledgement of the worth of God that happened at the cross. And we hear, see here in Romans 10, not once but twice, it is emphasized that this work of the Son was according to the will of the Father. I have come to do your will. 
Oh, it was a unique worship. Strange and a terrible worship. A frightful, terrifying worship. An agonizing and lonely service of worship. But it was and remains a service of worship accepted of God. So much so, so pleased was the Father. The cross, the death of the incarnate Son of God was such a display and acknowledgement of the worth of God according to the will of God that this unique worshiper, the incarnate Son, our high priest, our lead worshiper, is now at the right hand of God the Father in the throne room of heaven so that the Father is perpetually reminded of that ultimate service of worship on that Friday long ago. Oh yes, the cross has a reference to us as sinners, as we've sung tonight. He died on the cross for our sins, but don't miss it. We are not the ultimate object of the cross. God is. The cross has a Godward bent, a Godward direction. Those hours on the cross comprised a worship service. A service of worship unlike any before or after. It was the ultimate worship service. But I want you to notice at the end of chapter 10, uh, I read down to verse 18, that in no way does the author of Hebrews, ultimately the Holy Spirit, reflect on the uniqueness of this Offering this sacrifice, this service of worship on the cross by Jesus Christ. He does not reflect on it as a mere historical peace moment. Rather, this ultimate worship service that took place on the cross is also at the same time the ultimate call to worship calling you and calling me and calling every man and woman, boy and girl, created in the image of God to worship God. It is the ultimate call to worship. Therefore, verse 19 says, because of this unique offering, this unique sacrifice, this unique oblation, this unique worship by the incarnate Son, able to vindicate the devaluing of God that our sin represented, able to perfectly fulfill the will of God. This sacrifice, this worship by Christ, verse 19, 
Because of this, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Now just pause there. That's all worship language. It's all worship language. It's not just merely about personal reconciliation. Oh, it's about reconciliation. But do you notice it's all in the context of worship. So brethren, since now because of Christ, our sin has been atoned for, accounted for, our unacceptable worship has been removed, an acceptable worship has been received, Our high priest has entered into the very throne room of heaven and brought us with him. Because of this, verse 22, let us draw near. And let this sink in. Draw near to do what? Worship. Worship. Let us. Let us. Because of this ultimate service of worship, Let us then, now, trusting in Christ, moved by his offering, moved by his worship, prompted by his sacrifice, let us worship God. You see, before This worship by Christ on the cross and his offering of himself once for all for sins. It was impossible for us to worship God without recognizing our sin and and not in view of it. Without reference to sin, which means that there was always the shedding of blood, goats, bulls, and so forth. Now, because of Christ, we can worship God without respect to sins. Oh, yes, we acknowledge that we are sinners. Oh, yes, we always do that. In humility, we recognize the truth. But because of his sacrifice, we worship God in spirit and in truth with joy. Let's pray. Oh, God, we say with the great congregation described in Revelation 5, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Help us to never forget the cross. God, we marvel at the display of your worth that took place. And Lord Jesus, we we worship you one with the Father. We praise you as the lamb who is slain and humbly ask that you would help us now to obey, to draw near, and to offer up to God acceptable sacrifices of praise and thanks and obedience with reverence and awe. In your name we pray.